Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. We're going to go overtime today. Is that okay? We got the permission right there. All right, Journey Kids made it over a little later. It's springtime, you know. We're talking about patience today, so we can take a little extra time, all right? Okay, open your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 11, and then put your finger in John 13. Those are the two spots we're going to be today. This is the second to last message in the Get It Together series, and Lord willing, Steve is going to be back preaching, which is awesome, next week to close off this series. So I'm excited for that. I hope you're excited for that too. This morning, uh, both passages are linked to the Lord's table. And as we said in the Easter uh, series that we're going to be coming up to Easter, leading, preparing that first Sunday in April, April 3rd, we're going to be doing the whole sermon time on the Last Supper, the Lord's Table. So we're going to observe the Lord's Table then. But both of these passages are linked to the Lord's Table. Paul says, when you sit down to partake of the Lord's Table in a church gathering, wait for one another, which is just good manners, right? And then Jesus, prior to instituting the Lord's table, he gets up and he washes the disciples' feet and then says, I've set you an example, you are to wash one another's feet, which is an interesting one. We're going to save that till the end, okay? So 1 Corinthians 11. I hope you've seen through this series that this all flows out of the gospel. This is gospel living. You're not going to hear the currency of the culture telling us to serve one another and submit to one another and confess our sins to one another and pray for one another and honor one another and the last shall be first. These are all things that are distinct to the kingdom of God. It only flows out of the gospel. And if you do see it out there, you can probably trace its origin to the gospel because I don't know where else you get this type of living and this message. Paul discusses the Lord's table, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And he's got some points on freedom and accessibility. No longer do you need a priest in the temple in Jerusalem to mediate between God and man. And you can't touch the showbread and the Jewish Seder, the the Passover supper. Has anybody ever participated in a legitimate traditional Passover supper? I've only ever done it once at our previous church. We had a Jewish professor come and it took like three hours. Nobody expected how long it would take to go through each element. And he was pointing out how it tied to the Passover in Egypt. And he was pointing about how it points to Christ. And you got the bitter herbs and the salt water and the unleavened bread. And you got to have your staff ready to leave at any moment because the people left Egypt. You know, there, there are all these different elements. And we don't necessarily participate in it in the traditional way since Jesus has instituted the Lord's table, a new covenant I give you in my blood, Jesus says. So the thought is, if opening it up and making it accessible and grace and mercy and everybody's welcome at the table through the broken body and the shed blood, does that just open the floodgates? Like, is that freedom now for people to do whatever they want and take advantage? Well, Paul talks about that. He says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for sin. The Lord's table is not an opportunity to get drunk. It's not an opportunity to treat it like a buffet and be a glutton. The Lord's table is all about the broken body and the shed blood. And because of that, we need to be considerate of one another. We need to wait for one another when we participate in the Lord's table. 
In chapter 11, Paul talks about male headship and head coverings, which is really interesting. If you want to talk about that sometime, let's do that, but I don't have time to get into all that today. Order and modesty. It's, it's like a continuation of being considerate for one another. Men, you can't be inconsiderate of women just because you think that you're the leader over them. Women, you can't be rebellious and flaunt yourself disorderly. That's not being considerate of one another. And there's so much more to that passage. Paul's talking about all of this in the context of the gathering of the local church. It should look different because of the gospel message that we believe and because of the cross that we unite under. We should act differently. And then he talks specifically about the Lord's table. Chapter 11, starting in verse 27. Whoever, and I'm glad it's a whoever, right? John 3, 16. For whosoever believes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Do you know there's a right way and a wrong way to participate in the Lord's table? He'll be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now we've touched on this. The Lord's table isn't an opportunity to fill our cravings. We shouldn't come hungry thinking, oh, if I get enough of these little breads, I'm going to fill myself. Or if I get enough of this juice, maybe I'll get a buzz. That's what the Corinthian church was treating the Lord's table as. And Paul says, no, 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 no. This isn't an opportunity to point the finger and say, well, so-and-so did it, or, or look how much they took. If I, I didn't take that much. He says, examine yourself. Which is what we've been saying every Sunday through this whole series. Here's how we are to treat one another. How are you doing with that? Maybe there's an opportunity to confess, to get right with the Lord, to get right with your brother. This is for you. This is for me. This isn't for Jimmy John sitting over there or Susie Q. I hope they're really listening to the message because they are an impatient person and they never wait for other people. No, this, this is for me. This is for you. This is an opportunity to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and look at verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment, about the other things, I'll give you directions when I come. He's got more that he wants to say about the Lord's table and how they treat one another when they're with one another, but he thinks those conversations would be better when they're face-to-face, -face, right? There's a good principle right there. But I want you to think about this. Waiting. Isn't waiting difficult? Like, we got stuck in traffic on the highway on Friday just before Enfield. Did anybody get stuck in that? The bridge was down to one lane. I think we sat there for like 20 minutes, and we were really in a rush. It was a nice day. We had the windows down. It was fine. But my son in the back seat must have said like 20 times, what's taking so long? Why are people going so slow? Daddy, why can't you pass them? Why can't you get in front of that person? Why is that truck passing us? And I just thought, where does he get that from? <laughs> Certainly not me. <laughs> Waiting's difficult, isn't it? They say patience is a virtue for a reason. And if you're going to pray for patience, you better buckle up. Yeah, but it's almost like society is programming people to be impatient, isn't it? We have everything so fast-paced. Fast Don't wait. Act now. 
expedite the parcel, prime delivery, Uber Eats. Do you remember when McDonald's in the drive-thru, they had that timer in red digits, and if it took longer than the timer, I think it was like two minutes, you get your meal for free? Do you remember that? You may not remember that because it was so short that they actually had that for because they never made the time, and I think they just got rid of it. But trying to do things faster. Remember dial-up? You couldn't use the internet, and you had to listen to that little sound. It was so slow. Can you imagine going back and trying to work on the internet at those speeds? Corded home phones. Just imagine if your whole family had one phone. How often do you use your phone? About four hours a day? Now picture a family of four, five, six, seven using one phone. Can you imagine going back to those days? Remember VHS tapes? Rewinding them? I feel like every kid should have to rewind a VHS tape in their development. That taught me patience right there. I, I remember in high school hearing a song that played on the radio and I thought it was so good and I had to wait for it to play on the radio again before I could hear it again or I could go to the, the store and buy the CD. CD was this new technology that had come out. Do you remember those days? That was before Shazam, before Spotify. You had to wait. Do you remember before the Cobbaquid Pass? Do you remember before the Divided Highway, before the Confederation Bridge, taking the ferry? All these areas in life where we no longer have to wait. You know you can pre-order the new iPhone SE Pro 13, and you can get it in green now. You can pre-order it right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for next week's episode. You can binge the whole season on Netflix right now. You don't have to wait to talk to your friend. You can text them at 3 a.m. Don't text me at 3 a.m., please. <laughs> why is waiting for one another, particularly before you eat, why is that important? What's Paul getting at? Why would he need to say that? John Phillips, who's a Bible commentator, he says this, it's incredible that it would be necessary for Paul to write such instructions in the word of God. Like, isn't this just common sense? Isn't this just manners? Growing up in my home, we sat at the supper table and we ate as a family, and you don't touch the food until mom sits down. And then oftentimes there was dessert after supper. We don't do that anymore, and I think that's probably a good thing. But you couldn't touch your dessert until the cook sat down. Anybody have a rule like that? You got to wait until everybody's seated at the table, waiting. Well, now I know why it's so important with a young family and kids who just want to gobble up the food before the adults get to sit down to join them. When do you have that opportunity to sit with one another? The feast that Paul's referring to here is the love feast. It's, it's almost like two feasts he's talking about simultaneously. There's the love feast, and then it would likely climax with the Lord's table. And the love feast was like a community dinner that the church would put on and invite people to come out who may have food, may not have food. The people who had food would bring extra food to share with the people who didn't have food. It's a good idea, isn't it? They would get together and do this, and what was designed as an opportunity to be considerate of others became like a club, a clique, an opportunity to show off. Hey, look at the pie that I brought this week. And then they would hoard it for themselves and for their friend group. Make sure you sit beside me because here's the meatballs that I brought. And they wouldn't share. And what started as an opportunity to be considerate and show love turned into a selfish show. Paul says, you can't be doing this. This is so hypocritical. If you're hungry... Eat at home before you come. Now, I read this through so many times, and I thought that was just a funny little thing that Paul threw in there, but I think there's something there. If you know that you're not going to have supper until 7, 
Maybe you should have a snack at 4 p.m. so you're not so hangry. I've had to learn that rule in my life. I get hangry. But so much more than that, let's get into the uh, philosophy of it here. What is impatience? Like, what is it really? I was hoping somebody would say, well, it's not being patient. <laughs> okay, what is patience? Patience is satisfaction with this moment right here. Impatience is dissatisfaction, a restlessness. It's almost like a jealousy, like I'm, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at, but I think I'll be satisfied if I can just get this thing, but I can't have it yet. And it's the tension in between, and we grow restless, dissatisfied. So Paul says, if you come to the meal and you're so dissatisfied that your cravings are calling out to you and you just have to grab those chicken wings first before everybody gets a chance to sit down and we can pray for the meal, maybe you should fill your cravings at home before you come. Okay, here's what I'm getting at. I listened to a brief teaching on nutrition from a neuroscientist. Doesn't that sound exciting? I can give you the link if you want to watch it. Uh, in regards to food cravings and decisions that we make about food. How many decisions do you think you make on food every day? I'll tell you. 200 decisions on food. Some of you are thinking, oh, it's probably more. <laughs> it's probably more for me, honestly. 200 decisions on food. And then Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you, do you go to the Bible 200 times or think or make decisions on spiritual matters 200 times in the course of a day? Maybe. She also pointed out that food cravings are a learned mindset. You can train your behavior. This is like the whole craze of like noom meal planning and stuff. It, it changes your mindset because there's a lot of neuroscience there, apparently. We build habits that determine our satisfaction. It's the habit that determines our satisfaction, not necessarily our taste buds or the size of our stomach. It's how much food did I eat yesterday and what was the type of food and what was the flavor, how much sugar, how much salt. Did I eat about that same amount today and the day before and the day before? And we set these habits. Now, I'm not getting after you about your eating habits. I hope you hear that today. If anybody needs to be get after about their eating habits, it's me right here because I am not great at this. But... What if those disciplines and those habits to fulfill food cravings is a picture that Paul's pointing at about spiritual disciplines and spiritual habits to fill spiritual cravings so that when we're in an opportunity where it looks like if I just had this to be satisfied, we can say, no, I am satisfied because I have this habit and this desire and this craving for the word of God and for my savior. And I already have this here and I practiced it and I've meditated on it and I've read it. Even today, I've spent time in prayer. So I am anchored in satisfaction. I don't need to reach up there. I don't need to grab for the chicken wings. I don't need to grab those meatballs. I don't need the grass that looks so much greener on the other side of the fence because I have Jesus here with me. I love what Esther said about our church. It's at work here because God is here. Tracy said the same thing. When God is here with me in this moment, why do I need to be so impatient and desire the next? If I'm satisfied in Christ, then impatience doesn't have legs to stand on. Are you following that? Maybe I'm digging a little too deep into Paul's comment there. Okay, John chapter 13, impatience. Maybe it's tied to a lack of satisfaction that can only be found in the Savior. 
John chapter 13. Let's get into the Last Supper, washing one another's feet. Starting in verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. I love how it's put in there. Before any of what we're about to talk about takes place, this already is in Judas' heart. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. Now, do you remember what we just talked about, about spiritual habits, finding our sufficiency and our satisfaction in Christ so that we're not impatient and looking for the greener grass? Jesus is demonstrating it. He knows the plan. He knows what the Father has set into place. He knows he's obedient and submissive to the Father's will. Therefore, he has this deep satisfaction for what he's about to do. He laid aside his outer garments. Taking a towel, he ties it around his waist. Then he pours water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, if you've been in church for any amount of time, listened to sermons, read the Bible, you've probably seen this image before. And we're going to talk about it more on April 3rd when we talk about the Last Supper and we observe the Lord's table. I want to focus on Jesus washing the disciples' feet. When I first read that one, I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. I can just say we no longer do that in our modern culture, so let's just, you know, that was a thing they did, and we can just emphasize on waiting for one another, right? And just brush over it, but I think there's more there. In this day, a special guest at a special dinner, when the traveler would arrive, there would be somebody there to wash their feet because they wore sandals, there were animals in the road, you can put two and two together, they would get there, it'd be disgusting. It would be a very degrading position for the lowest, youngest servant to do. And everybody knew that. That was just a cultural custom in that day. The disciples overlooked or maybe consciously made the decision that I'm not doing that. So they didn't plan for it. You remember how they found the upper room? Jesus said, you know, they, they followed the woman, they get to the place, ask the permission, use the upper room, get the food, prepare the upper room so that I may enjoy my last supper with my disciples before what's about to happen. And they overlooked this key aspect. Do you remember how much through this COVID pandemic was talked about hand washing, right? And how to wash your hands, how to do it properly, especially initially, all about hand hygiene. I think modern-day hand hygiene ties to the foot-washing thing here. If you've got little kids at home, hand hygiene is so important. My daughter had peanut butter all over her fingers and reached out and grabbed my face this morning. Peanut butter all in the beard. It was great. So Jesus, with the ultimate consideration for others and the humility of himself, because he knew the Father's plan, because he's satisfied and he's anchored in the plan, no need for selfish impatience. He gets up, changes his clothes, gets the towel, the bowl, the water, starts washing and drying the feet. I wonder what that moment was like. I wonder if the food got cold. I wonder if the disciples thought, we did all this work, we got all the meal here, like we can wash our own feet, you don't need to do that. You remember Peter's interaction, like, no way you're going to wash my feet. Okay, wash everything, please. I wonder if they got impatient for the meal. I wonder if they reached for the uh, unleavened bread. More than that, Jesus didn't just fill a role that the disciples overlooked or were too proud for. He washed Judas Iscariot's feet. 
Doesn't Proverbs talk about feet that are swift to run and to do evil? He's washing the feet of his betrayer. He's about to go and sell him out, stab him in the back. Being considerate of others is a lot easier when the person that you're being considerate to seems worthy of your consideration. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll wait for her because she would wait for me. Oh, no problem. I know you do the same for me, right? But Jesus, being Jesus, takes it a step further. I'll wash his feet even if he sells me out. I want to show you some pictures from the foot washing series by Kia Ora of Perth, Australia. Her company is called Salt and Gold Collection, and they're beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I saw this on Instagram and just so grabbed my attention. Here you have a little kid, and he's reaching out, touching Jesus' face as Jesus is washing his feet. And then you have this, oh, you have this image here. This one is called Frontline. You have this nurse... Her face is bruised from the goggles and the face mask she's been wearing. Um, cool. But then uh, it goes a step further. I just, I just want to read this. The, the illustrator, Kia Ora, the artist, she writes, Be prepared for Jesus to flip the tables of your heart. I like that. It's not about who's on the seat. It's about who's washing the feet. I really like that because it rhymes. But look at this. This one's called um, Jesus Weeps. I don't know if you can see the tears there, but it's beautiful. Oh, but then she takes it further. Get ready for this. Do you recognize that face? She writes about this series in particular. Um, this is the Jesus I know. Even though it shocks me. The one who comes running with a ring and a robe and throws his arms around you before he even knows if you're going to stammer out an apology or not. She says, I drew Russia as well as Ukraine because it was the missing half of this set. She says, I don't get to decide who's worthy or ready to sit on that stool. And um, she says, that's why these images are only being sold as a pair. You can't buy one without buying the other. Yeah, that's powerful. It's called Salt and Gold Collection if you want to look it up, and it's free shipping on items over $60 if, if you're interested. Jesus washed his betrayer's feet, the feet that snuck out the back door to sell him out. He washed the feet. John 13, 12. When he had washed their feet, and it mentions Judas twice in the previous passages leading up to this, in the context, it's just focused on Judas Iscariot. When he had washed their feet, all of them, even Judas, 
He put on his outer garments, he resumed his place, and he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do this just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. You know, patience is an act of consideration for others. But this takes it way further. Waiting for someone who's stuck in traffic is one thing, but washing the feet of your enemy is another. Both are aspects of thoughtful consideration for our fellow man, which can only flow out of the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We get to love because he first loved us. With Jesus, there's no reason, with, without Jesus, there's no reason to care for your enemy. You're not going to hear that message out there, unless it's to manipulate them to get what you want. Jesus sets a precedent for these one another's that goes way beyond thoughtfulness, way beyond attention, way beyond consideration, way beyond being nice or being well-mannered. All those things are great. But what Jesus is commanding is willful, humiliating, self-denial on behalf of those who are unworthy or unappreciative. So here's what I'm thinking about today. Moms, when you get home from a busy day's work and you whip supper together, you wrangle the kids in the bath, you finally get a little moment to take a breath, prepare lunches and laundry for the next day before you hit the hay. Remember that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. I'm thinking about you, man, who's worked the same job for decades, maybe with no appreciation, maybe with no substantial raise or promotion, all the attention's going to the latest hire and the boss keeps giving you the jobs no one else wants. You need to know that Jesus did the job nobody else wanted. He took the towel. To the student who's trying to decide what to do with their life in the midst of a pandemic. and Maybe you've been told the sky's the limit. You can do anything you set your mind to. But your test scores say differently. Maybe your major didn't work out. Maybe the interview didn't go so well. You didn't get a call back. Maybe you're wondering, am I just going to be working this part-time job for the rest of my life? Is this it? Remember that Jesus, the master teacher willfully took the dirtiest job of the lowest servant to serve his enemy, to demonstrate the nature of the kingdom of God to the world around him. Wait for one another. Wash one another's feet. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. Jesus set us an example he took the towel and he got down on his knees, even for his enemy. Would you pray with me as we close this morning? Father God, I want to praise you for the opportunity to open your word, spend this time together, to hear an update from Cassidy, 
to have our band lead us in worship and lead us to your throne, to hear testimonies from our church family on the work that you have done through this church over 172 years. God, we can't even fathom how great and incredible and how magnificent and majestic you are. God, we just want to be in awe of you today. Jesus, as we think about waiting for one another and being considerate of others, even when we have a busy schedule or, man, our cravings and our desires for what's next are just calling out to us, God, help us to be so satisfied in who you are that our spiritual disciplines, our time in the word, our time together with other believers, our time spent in prayer, in meditation on who you are, being still, and listening to the still small voice of God, would you help us to be so founded and grounded and satisfied through the work of the Spirit, the sacrifice of the Savior, and, and through your love for us, Heavenly Father, help us to be so in tune with that, that impatience has no ground to stand on. And God, when it comes to washing one another's feet, God, I pray that... Um, we would be the first to jump at the opportunity to do the things that nobody else wants to do. That we would serve even when it's hard, even when there's no recognition or a lack of appreciation. Father, help us to serve because you say that the master is no greater than the servant. And the one who sends the message, not necessarily greater than the messenger. And, and in the kingdom of heaven, we get these opportunities to showcase what gospel living looks like. Help us to take them, Father, not for our own benefit or, or for moving ourselves forward, but that we would display who you are to the world around us. Thank you that you loved us first. And that everything we do is simply a response to your incredible, unconditional love. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen.